Let's certainly get it started in here. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another show, another edition of the Live with Rank. That's me, show. Appreciate you tuning in. If you would like to be part of the program today, and there's a lot to talk about, not just here in the state of Michigan, but the United States as well as... You know what's happening over in Russia and Ukraine. We'll certainly get into all of that today and more. If you would like to join us, please do so. Lines are going to be open soon, 269-441-9595. Well, actually, they're open right now. I just want to get my first uh, segment out there of what I'd like us to talk about today as we keep adding to that. All Again, it's 269 269- Four four one nine five nine five, or you can email me at rank R E as an excellent N K at townsquaremedia.com. You can also join us if you have a an app of one of the stations you're listening to me on. Uh, that's now up and running in our new uh, systems here. So you could certainly send us an app chat if you would like. Let's start off the day with some good news. <clears throat> First. I thought I... Oh, here it is. Well, what used to be old Chrysler employees, you're going to get a, a 14000 or up to a $14,670 in a profit-sharing check. That is awesome. Maybe I should go and start working in an automotive factory. Employers of Stellantis, many of you know, they make those great Jeeps and Ram trucks. Represented by the UAW will benefit from the removal of a profit sharing maximum in the 2019 contract and now see their checks rise up to $14,670 before taxes. It's the biggest payout in more than 35 years. There are 43,000 eligible workers for the checks. The maximum payout is an 83% increase from last year. So congratulations if you work for... Well, any of the automotive companies, you guys all made a lot of money this year. So uh, great to start off the show with that. I think the company itself made $15 billion or uh, I'm not sure, something like that. It was pretty high, I saw. So, and, and again, awesome. That would be a very nice uh, check to receive. Also, those of you who may have screwed up once, but only once, and you were caught drunk driving, that new Michigan law, which in which will allow you to expunge those uh, records, is up and running. Now, we spoke about this a few months ago. This law will allow you guys, convicted of a first-time drunk and driving offense, to petition a court and ask them to put aside your conviction... You need, I think, three years. That went into effect this month. It was a bipartisan bill, and there's an estimated 200,000 non-repeat offenders, meaning just first-timers. If you're a second-timer or more, you cannot do that. Offenders will not be eligible for expungement under the new law if their violation resulted in serious injury or death. If they were driving a commercial vehicle with a commercial driver's license, or if the incident occurred when a child under the age of 16 was in the car, you're not able to file for an expungement. A judge asked for the expungement can consider whether the individual has, quote, availed himself or herself 
of the of a rehabilitative or educational program. So, if you have one, and I think it needs to be three years, you should look into it. Call the courts. Uh, maybe go to the website. Do a DuckDuckGo search, not a Google search. You shouldn't be using Google. DuckDuckGo search uh, or some other internet search engine. For uh, And just look up Michigan expungement drunk driving and you will find it. Yesterday I had and met him for the first time and he was really introduced to all of you for the first time on the show, uh, Congressman Heisinga. He was a state rep, I think, two, up till 2009, did six years. And then he, run his, he won his congressional seat in 2011, started in 2012 as a congressman. I believe it was the second district up by the Holland area. Well, due to us, again, Michigan losing a congressional seat. So now we're at 13 when we were at 14. I think just a decade or two ago, we were at 16. They had to not only redistrict, as you know, the uh, the liberal, the Democrat redistricting commission put forth their maps, but more districts uh, got put into a, with each other due to the uh, lack of population growth here in the state of Michigan. So our population may not have to increase because it didn't decrease, but other states' populations increased. And a a lot of those states in their populations that increased uh, were due to illegal aliens because they get counted in the census. Remember, that was the big beef we were all talking about and President Trump was trying to save America by saying, you know, okay, in the census, if this is the way I saw it. In the census, if you want to count all the illegal aliens in here in the United States, so all the people physically within our country, fine. But when it comes to appropriating districts, congressional districts, which equate to congressmen and women, which equate to more representation in your state or for your state in the federal government, you can't use the illegal alien number. And the left said, no, we should be able to use the illegal alien number. And I I never got a good explanation for that. I don't know if any of you have a good explanation for that. If I remember correctly, the best I heard was, well, they live here too. They live here illegally. That would be like you saying this or me saying this to you. You know that guy who just moved into your bedroom upstairs? No, we're not going to ask the police to throw him out. No, you can't do that. That's ungodly. It's unheard of. What are you, an animal? No, that person now lives in your house. Oh, and, and you're, you have to pay for his food, his heat, his... His... Uh, his everything. And they get a say in what happens in your house. Is there any difference, guys? I like to simplify these issues as much as possible. And I think that I just stumbled on that, maybe. I don't know if I said it before, but that's what it's like. Everybody who wants open borders, everybody who wants illegal aliens to be able to stay here in the United States should also not have a problem with people moving into your home, 
and then just squatting there. You can't kick them out. You can't have the police move them out. That's for sure. You can't kick them out. You have to pay for them, and they get to make the decisions, uh, help with a decision. They get a vote in the decisions in your household. It's the exact same thing. Now, due to that, I was wondering, how did I get down this? Usually I'm dealing with Michigan information. It was all about my interview yesterday with Congressman Huizinga. If you didn't hear it, all my shows are podcast now, cut up by one-hour segments. So if you go to my flagship station's website, wbckfm.com, up at the top left, you'll see quick, quick links, radio on demand. That's our podcast uh, program, radio on demand. And you'll see yesterday, hour one, go about halfway through, you'll hear my interview with Congressman Heisinga. My is basically was an introduction to all of you. The next interview we have him on, I want to drill down on some of the policies that he has been pushing in Congress since 2012, as well as what he would do, because he now is up in a district, the new district here in the state of Michigan called the 4th. The 4th was by landmass, mainly Congressman Fred Upton's district. And he had not said if he's running or not in the 4th District. So we had Congressman Izinga. There's a state rep out there who was running as well as a, a first-timer, if I remember correctly. I remember off-air asking Congressman Izinga if he knows what's the deal. Is Fred going to run? And he had not heard. He didn't know yet. Well, there's some news on that. I, I wonder if my interview with Congressman Izinga motivated this hmm i don't know i'll tell you about it coming up right after this you're listening to the live with rank show you're listening to the live with rank show that's the best i could find with uh, on the run uh, song is fred upton running in the new fourth district or is he not that is the question yesterday we didn't know congressman heisinger came on my show to talk to all of you many of you are or would be if he is, is wins the primary and then wins the general election, he would be your congressman. And I asked him, I can't remember if it was off air or on air or both. Does he know Fred's going to run yet? No one really knew. And then I read this in the Detroit Free Press this morning. Veteran Michigan Congressman Fred Upton has begun airing TV ads in a move that increases the likelihood he will seek re-election in the new 4th Congressional District. He's going to spend $213,000 in broadcast and cable TV ad buy in Western Michigan, which will last for a week. Hmm. Could it be because Congressman Heisinger was on yesterday here? Or was that already in the plans? I'd like to think it's because he was on my show here. Second of it is this. Really? Fred, you've been in Congress since, um, I don't know, was it the 40s, 50s? Actually, I think it was the late 70s. Name recognition is something that you're not fighting with. Now, possibly if he's airing these TV ads in uh, the new areas of the district, I'm not sure. Upton's campaign spokesman, Jamie Rowe, 
said he has not made a final decision on whether to run once again. Now, just so you know, he promised all the voters when he first ran that I think he said he would do five, if I remember, five terms, and he promised them he will leave after five terms. That was 30 years ago. His spokesman said, quote, he, he is right now beginning the conversation with the people of West Michigan and working with them to try to determine the best path forward, end quote. Primary's coming up pretty quick. You're just starting that right now. So if he does run, he'll be running in that primary against Congressman Heisinga, as well as a state representative. And I, again, I believe there's one other person who's never run in a, in, he's not in an elected position or she isn't, can't remember right now. Actually, I was wrong. It was in the 70s. It was 87. So it says Upton's been a member of Congress since 1987. So he's been 22 plus 13 is 35 years he's been a congressman. I think he promised he would only do 10 years, if I remember correctly. Quote, I'm proud of my record of always putting our state, nation, and the Constitution first. Common sense conservative policies committed to solving problems and putting policy over politics, end quote. Well, you guys judge if he was always putting our state, nation, and the Constitution first. I can tell you this. He is not even close to be con- being considered a conservative. So I don't know what that's all about. Committed to solving problems and putting policy over politics? Well, that's all for you guys to decide. And you may have that decision coming up in the primary. He filed a campaign finance, re- finance report for the last three months, the last quarter of 2021. And yesterday, no, two, today's Wednesday, right? Yeah, two days ago, he informed us all that he had raised $726,000. Only one current Michigan member of Congress has raised more. And that is Democrat Alyssa Slotkin over in Holly. She has a, I think she's got a primary too coming her way. She raised $960,000. He has raised $1.64 million for the entire year last year. And then we're talking about Fred Upton. And has $1.47 million cash on hand. Can you believe that? And I bet you 80% of it, 90, I'm 90% of it was not raised in his district. Now, I understand you probably could never raise enough money in your district to run into, in the way elections are today. But that's an awful lot of money, wouldn't you say? For one congressman to have. Heisinga's year-end campaign finance report show he raised 409000 in the last three months and $1.18 million for the year. He has about $1.14 million cash on hand. So you're looking at $1,470,000 that Upton has on hand to run against him and then in the general. And uh, Heisinga has $1,140,000. Now, Here's an interesting note, and this was from a person called Paul Egan, 
in the Detroit Free Press. And they always do this. And I always point it out to you. He talks about the state rep, Kara, who has backed Trump's, quote, unsubstantiated claims that the election was stolen, end quote. Every time they bring up anything about Trump and the election, every time they cut and paste unsubstantiated claims that the election was stolen, every time. Now, I would have... You know, when I was first writing some notes I wanted to see on air, I, I wrote, I would have more respect. And then I deleted more and I put the word some respect for these people who write words on computer screens because they're not news people or reporters. If they would just be fair in their reporting. So, for instance, every time they mention Fauci, just like every time they mention Trump in the election, they say unsubstantiated claims that the election was stolen. Every time. It's, it's hilarious. Again, I would have some respect for these people who, again, write words on a computer screen that show up on the internet and maybe in print somewhere if they just be fair in the reporting. And here's being fair. Every time they mention Fauci and COVID, they should say that he was once against the use of masks before he was for the use of masks and then changed back to the use of masks before he decided to go for it and favoring masks. See, they don't say that every time they mention Fauci and every time they mention uh, COVID. But yes, at least then they would be fair. Yes, Fauci, who, every time, who was once against the use of masks before he was for the use of masks and then he changed back to the use of uh, of masks before, uh, no, of getting, uh, not using masks and then decided to go back to favoring masks. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Jamie Rowe, the spokesman for Fred Upton, said he would prefer not to run against Congressman Heisinga, but, quote, sometimes in redistricting years you have tough decisions to make, end quote. Yes, they do. So that is the update on Congressman uh, Fred Upton. And is he going to run? Is he not going to run? We don't know. 269-441-9595. Lines are open. You're listening to the Live with Rank Show, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. You're listening to, well, that was a rather quick. You're listening to the Live with Rank Show. I appreciate that. The phone number is 269-441-9595. If you'd like to join us today and give us your thoughts about what we're talking about Earlier in the week, I believe it was, well, maybe it was late last week. Not quite sure. I think I wrote a piece about it, actually. So let me do what I tell you guys to do. Let me go over to my flagship radio station. It doesn't matter which station you listen to me on. Under Meet the Host. Okay, there's that handsome guy, Rank. I'm going to click on that. And it'll bring up all the pieces that I've written and published on the radio stations that I'm on. And let me scroll through this. Okay, no. Uh, no, let's go to the next page. I think I wrote a piece about this. Hmm. Yes, yes, I did a week ago. Should Michigan schools post all of their class material online? I don't know if you guys remember that. And I asked that because... Uh, you. I was amazed that it, of, people wouldn't just say, of course they should. We're into transparency. 
you would think that would be a slam dunk question. Well, it's not. I found it very interesting and telling when I read an AP headline that read, quote, GOP pushes U.S. schools to post all class materials online, end quote. Now, the interest, when I said I was very interested in, in, in that, I thought it was telling, is from the headline informing us that only Republican state lawmakers are the ones pushing for transparency in our public schools and to help our children. Now, it was telling because they do not report that Democrat politicians are concerned about transparency when it comes to what our children are taught in the public schools. And there are bills that are being presented in, or issued or sponsored or what have you, submitted, I guess, I'm trying to think of the right word, in state houses across the country. And in this particular one, they were talking about Ohio, but I did see Michigan was a school, was a state where it was also occurring. Michigan State Representative Gary Eisen introduced HB, House Bill 5722, Curriculum, Instruction, and Materials Transparency Posting. And it basically says that you need to post all the classroom materials online that you will be using in teaching. And if you don't, in this particular bill, you could lose 5% of your state aid. Now, again, you would think it's a slam dunk. Why would anybody be afraid of presenting what they're teaching your kids? It's us. We pay these people. They work for us. Everything they have in their classroom is from us. Even when they got their hazard pay from working from home, because it was hazardous to work from their homes, I guess, that came from us, the people. Well, after I spoke about that in depth, and again, I, any of you, I reach out to any of you who think differently, give us a call at 269-441-9595. Maybe I'm missing something here. Always willing to talk about it. One of you, a listener, Dr. Peterson, emailed me and said, quote, I think you're spot on in regards to transparency of the functioning of our schools. And then he goes on into... into uh, some depth in the email. He's on right now here to talk to you guys. So let's go to Dr. Peterson. Good morning, Dr. Peterson. Welcome to the Live with Rank Show. Hey, good morning. And I have to tell you, you played the best intro music. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You like that one. If I could see the light, I was hoping people could, could, could get that because it's just basically just trying to see what you, what are you trying to teach our children? And, and apparently the Democrat party and the teachers are, or many teachers, the unions also are against transparency when it comes to what is being presented to your children in these public schools. I agree. And, and the unions, once upon a time, I was a principal and the unions, uh, we fought with them constantly. And, and, uh, we need to hold the teachers accountable for that which they're doing, which is teaching our children. And every way we can do that is better for us. Right. You wrote, having you know, parental knowledge of that, 
Right. You wrote having parental knowledge of that, which is taught, should be something that schools strive for rather than attempt to avoid. The more we can have the people aware of what is occurring in our schools, the better. He got, you went on to say if it was Dr. Peterson's world, I would go so far as having schools built with small rooms between classrooms that have one-way mirrors and encourage parents to come and observe their child's class. Now, you are a former or a retired principal, you're saying? Right. I was a professor for a long time, a retired professor, but a long time ago I was a principal. Okay. And, and you're right. I did everything I could do to get people in the building. We want them to see what's going on, how we're benefiting the community. And not only that, they can see what we're doing well, but we also want to see where we could use some help. So getting people in the building should be a big goal of ours. And you bet I want parents to be aware of what we're teaching their children. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I guess I'm coming from the old school of the, of the three R's plus history, you know, pertinent stuff that we as a society say we want you to have this knowledge. And with that, too, we should do these high-stakes tests every year. How much of this knowledge that we as our society find valuable do you know? And based on that, we should be looking at that as far as teacher pay. And I've well, uh, got a lot of uh, issues with this. So go ahead. How would you base uh, teachers would say that it'd be unfair for them to be ba their pay be based on the success of their students because there's a lot of other factors involved. Yeah, it's value added is what we're talking about, and and we could do the a table where value added. Of course, if I have students who are on the tenth percentile, it's easier for me to bring them up higher than someone who gets students who are in the 98th percentile. But we could do that math in there to figure that out to make it fair and have ranges of pay. If you're really a good fourth-year teacher, you might make as much as a not-so-good eighth-year teacher. And why wouldn't we do this? I, I know very few professions where the people automatically get a raise each year just for living a year longer. I, I've always said that, and I've taken the heat. All they have to do is breathe, and if they breathe, they get raises, step raises, they call them, as well as others. And in my world, in the real world, that that just doesn't happen. You're almost always put up against your productivity, and if your productivity isn't good enough, and it's time for you to go, you go. In the in the bigger corporate businesses and in public education is a huge corporate business but take it outside of that and go into let's say a automotive company or a bank or whatever these banks after a while get bloated and these companies get bloated with more and more people and then all of a sudden there's a mass layoff at some point and that happens that's never happened in schools in fact they always say we need more and more and more and that's a whole nother a whole nother discussion but when it comes to how productive you are for instance i remember you wrote this we have only taught when we have only taught when students learn and students have learned what they can demonstrate knowledge and skills is what you wrote in that original email to me you say and to repeat once more schools are a business oh good you agreed with me and the product they produce is the future of our society and that's why it's very very important Correct? Yeah, absolutely right. The, you know, we, we've always said that for a long time, that you've only taught when the students have learned. And if they cannot demonstrate their new knowledge and skills, they haven't learned.
or they only know this one spot that has been generalized to a different environment or a different time, and we're not doing our job. And we can't assess learning. We can't assess every single thing you've learned. We give a test that projects out that if you know these answers, we'll figure you know the rest. And we should be accountable for that, which we produce. A long time ago, I was a teacher. I encouraged people to come in and watch me. I could care less. I was going to teach the exact same way, whether they were there or not. And, and not only should we put out the curriculum we're going to use, I think we should also list the methodologies that they're planning to use within that curriculum because there are some methodologies that are more beneficial than others. So why do you think so many, the teachers' unions, the Democrat politicians, and, and teachers, I'm not saying all of them, but a good, a good part of them, I guess, are against transparency when it comes to teaching in their classrooms. Well, would you like to have a job where you're not accountable for that? Would you produce? Yes. <laughs> we're just going to keep you on. And by the way, it takes about three years of hard work for an administrator to get rid of a teacher who does not belong in the industry. It's very difficult. Oh, I remember they have those rooms in New and York you- City. They, they were they. It's so hard. It was like an eighty-something page process to go through to get a a teacher fired and so they just wouldn't do it they would just pay him to sit in a room all day and look at the walls but <laughs> they didn't and, 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 and they literally they just yeah they just didn't want them to be around the kids uh because some of them actually it was pretty bad but all right you also had something real quick you wanted to say you told me at break about the uh, interview i had or at least about the race in the fourth district Sure. And, you know, and I think this is a question we should ask everyone running for the U.S. Congress and, and there who are already those who are there. We should say, considering law and order and equal justice for all, what specifically will they do to address the crime of perjury committed by high-ranking federal officials when they lied under oath to the U.S. Congress? When we don't address these laws being broken by high officials, what does that do to law and order in our country and people's view of equal justice for all? I think it's a fair question for every congressional candidate. We want specific answers, not some answer out there. Well, I'll look into it. All right. We need to know why they're not holding these people accountable. I, I totally agree with you. Thanks a lot for calling in, Dr. Peterson. Appreciate that. 269-441-9595. If you have a thought about what we're talking about today or my discussion there with a fellow listener viewers here. Dr. Peterson, uh, and when it comes to our our legal system today, it is, along with the media, the mainstream manipulative media, our legal system and the, the people who are in it, who are allowing politics, who are allowing politicians to push them one way or the other way, which then gives us two tiers of of of, uh, accountability is going to be a huge problem when the left can do whatever they want and get away with it. And I'll give you an example. Didn't get away with it, but the guy, the black lives matter, Quintez, whatever walks in last week and goes and tries to assassinate a Jewish mayoral candidate. The Democrats get together and post his $100,000 bond. 
You got all these people waiting from January 6th over a year now with no bond for trespassing? That's one example. General Flynn, he was told to have lied to the FBI, even though the FBI said he didn't lie. It was the upper, brain, uh, upper people in the FBI who lied and said he did lie and attempted to and almost did ruin his life. But yet their guys, Brennan, Clapper, they admitted to lying to Congress. Nothing happened to them. That's going to be dangerous, my friends. Along with the mainstream manipulative media, that is right up there. You're listening to Live with Rank. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Live with Rank show. Thank you very much. 269-441-9595 is the number if you would like to uh, partake in the show today. I I found this interesting. I don't know if this is interesting to you guys, but it, it was... I try to look at these issues a little bit deeper than just the surface. So you may hear that Michigan farmers are seeing a large increase in theft of their fuel. But in it first interested me, and then I started thinking about it. So I wrote a little piece, put it out there, titled exactly that, Michigan farmers see a large increase in the theft of their fuel. And this is what I was... I started thinking about, which then led me to say, well, maybe I will write some of this down and, and see if a, a piece comes out of it. And it did. So when the price of oil increases, and it's going to go up big, we're being told, most people feel the pain by the increase of a gallon of gas. Or if you heat your house with oil or natural gas, that's where you see and feel the pain. A little over a year ago, most of us could drive up to the pump and fill up our tanks with a cost maybe in the $30 range, mid to 30 It depends, obviously, how, how many gallons your gas tank is. Now, I think it's usually gas because we use gas more often. You get your utility bills once a month, or you're going to pay that oil bill to fill up your oil tank maybe once a season, maybe more. But definitely every week you're feeling it at the pump. And that's kind of where it ends for us. So when we could, over a year ago, pull up to a tank, uh, gas tank, 30-something bucks maybe, $38, $39, dollars $30 range, as I said, fill up your gas tank. Now you're moving up and it's 50 to 60 to $70 to fill up your tank. Now, the increase in the price of gasoline and that pain usually stops there. Well, it doesn't stop there for all of us. And obviously, from what I was talking about before, you know what I'm talking about. The farmers in Michigan, I read, are feeling more pain due to the increase of the price of oil. Why? Because there are more people who are stealing their diesel and gasoline from their reserve tanks on their farms. So, again, the reason why I decided to write this and I hope and you guys just don't read or look at that headline and say well it's all explained there take a few minutes to read the article hopefully share it and you'll understand where what I was thinking about also but he, here's something here's another consequence of taking us from being energy self-sufficient just over a year ago to begging other oil producing countries 
to pretty please pump more oil for us. This is another example of the very many unforeseen consequences that most people do not even consider when they cast a ballot. Think about that for a second. Thanks. Sorry about that. I had to take care of something. Didn't know no one was there. Again, getting used to the new equipment here and bells and whistles and things going off. But think about that. Again, this is more than just um, all right, they're getting their fuel, their diesel, and their gasoline stolen for them. Okay. No, it's another consequence of us taking, of us going off of being self-sufficient in energy just over a year ago to now begging oil-producing countries to pretty please pump more. And another deeper thought, it's another example of the many unforeseen consequences that most people do not even consider when they cast a ballot. Those most people are people who don't listen to talk radio certain talk radio to become more informed of what's going on. The Detroit Free Press wrote a report about this. And farmers, they work on the slimmest of margins. The slimmest of margins. You see the beef prices going up. It's usually the middlemen who are making that kind of cash, not necessarily the farmers. So now they got to deal with even more pain, not just of filling up their cars, their pickups, their farm equipment, but thieves stealing their diesel and gasoline for their farm equipment. A Bronson Township farmer here in Michigan who wishes to remain anonymous stated, quote, people came onto my property and emptied my 500-gallon diesel tank and my 250-gallon gas tank. They stole the pump and all the hoses on the diesel tank. The farmer then went on to say, quote, it's almost a $2,000 bill to fill, but they also stole the pump, which is another $1,600 by the time you replace the pump and the hoses. I was not anticipating that, end quote. So what's happening in the farmer pre-positions their fuel, depending on how many acres they have, they pre-position these tanks out there so they can fill up their farming equipment out there, not like driving all the way back to their barn or whatever where it's at. They put it out there to make it easier for them. And they just haul out the gas or so they don't have to keep hauling it out, I guess, every day. So farmers work very hard for their money they make. And certainly every added expense to their bottom line really isn't... Uh, Helpful, obviously. So, see, there's more to just 